We're looking for two oil boys who can grease us up before each competition. You do the thing you're scared shitless of, and you get the courage after you do it. That's the way it works. That's the dumbass way to work. It should be the other way around. You'll have to excuse my friend. The town is back that way. You should make a radical change in your lifestyle. I mean, the core of man's spirit comes from new experiences. That's the way it works. Don't worry, we'll catch our break too. Just gotta keep our eyes open. Hello, welcome to Looks Like We're Lost, episode 19. I'm Dustin Redazel. And joining me is a man who has been sometimes fasting, sometimes not, for four consecutive days. It's Tommy Cooksey. We are going strong. And you sounded extra slow and sultry on that introduction. <laughs> Took me a while to get going. It's, it's going to get the the people are going to they're going to wonder what what are we here for? We're in for something today. Yeah, dude, the fasting's going great. I'm not even going to lie. I mean, I got a little bit of hate about it because obviously, you know, if you like don't negative share it, feedback, a little bit of negative feedback, not like in a uh, visceral way, in a kind of like, well, why would you do that? And, mm. you know, for me, part of it is I've talked with you every week for the last like 19 weeks, 20 weeks or so, um, listening to a um, Hannah, a um, functional dietitian claim some benefits to it. And, uh, you know, just reading some different articles, it's for me, it's more, it's less about like any type of weight loss and more about like the cellular regeneration benefits mm-hmm. that, that seem really positive. And I got to say, I don't know if this is generally just the whole fasting principle or if it's uh, um, the fact that I'm cutting myself off from eating at seven o'clock and no more food. I have been sleeping great. So yeah. good. <laughs> I've got a note right here and the things I wanted to ask you about intermittent fasting and how it was going. Uh, number two was sleep, question mark. Dude, like last night, as long as the kids don't wake up, like, you know, sometimes they'll wake up and you get whatever. But like last night, everyone was quiet and I went to bed at like 945 and I probably rolled around a little bit, but I don't remember coming to until about 430. And mm. the last time I did that, I couldn't tell you. So, well, as a guy who's been doing intermittent fasting for a couple of years now, I sleep like a stone. I mean, it. I got to say that it, and, and part of it is because, you know, I'll eat a snack before, before trying this, I'll, I'll eat a snack at eight, nine o'clock and it'll be a, a bowl of cereal or handful of M&Ms or something like that. Surely that was messing with my sleep cycle. Mm-hmm. Um, or if I'm just eating dinner too late, it's like your body is still performing the chemical reactions necessary to break down the food. And so of course, you know, I get my worst sleep when we have a good dinner, like out, you yeah. know, out, if we eat till like eight, nine o'clock, just wake up like sweating. <laughs> yeah. Big, rich meal. <sighs> Nothing. It's great on the way in, man. Does it, does it suck around like 1am? Man, that's good to hear. I I sincerely believe that when you're kind of just test driving your diet for yourself, yeah, 
sleep is one of the best ways to run the diagnosis. Yeah. The diagnostics. Like if you're sleeping well, almost anything you do that helps you sleep better, like that's a that's a pro move. Dude, absolutely. The, you know, the only thing that I haven't cuz you're right. I mean, as long as I don't think about it and we make the kids breakfast and everything, I don't even really care to eat already. It's only been four days, but I'm not like waking up ravenously hungry. Like I need some eggs right now. Um, now of course the coffee does help. We're cheating a little bit with the coffee, but I don't have like the around hour 15 to about hour 16 or 17. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, for anybody that doesn't know what intermittent fasting is, you basically just stop eating at a certain time and then you don't eat again for 16 to 17 hours, give or take. This was my first question. What's your window? I've done 7 to 11. So you stop eating at stop 7 eating p.m. Stop eating at 7 p.m. Start, start eating, eating at, at around 11, yeah. But that, yeah, and I do noon to 8, so yeah. that's the same. But the, uh, that, that like hour and a half window right now from, call it not about, uh, about an hour, from about 10 to 11, I'm pretty cloudy. Like if I have a, a conference, mm-hmm. I, had a, I had a call with my boss the other day and I couldn't find like simple words that would normally come to me. And it's like, I can mm-hmm. feel myself. I think I'll eventually be able to push through that and I'll have just as much clarity. But my brains at that point is only thinking about like a big plate of eggs with a bowl of oatmeal. <laughs> <laughs> but what I've, uh, I think some of that'll, that'll fade in time for sure. Like, your body will gain more flexibility around it. What I've found with the intermittent fasting, it sounds like you're starting to come around to it, is we all, at some point in our life, when we're crafting a diet, we confront the question of, why do I eat? Mm. And sometimes we answer it broadly, like, oh, performance, for fun, like for social interaction. Sometimes we never even think about it. It's like, well, three square meals. Like, I, I have to eat. I'm human. It's keeps me healthy. Right. But when you actually constrict, like you set some boundaries and you constrict your feeding window down to eight hours and simplify what your meal is for, like let's say you only got to eat once every day and you need to know that that meal is going to sustain you for 24 hours. Mm -hmm. You start thinking really hard about what's in that meal. Right. Like it's got to be built correctly to let you do all the stuff you want to do. Mm-hmm. And what I've found is, one, my body can do a lot more without food than I ever thought it could. Like, I I was probably overfed for my entire life. <laughs> yeah. And two, once I start thinking about why am I actually eating, like, the rest of my life starts to kind of fall in place. Like, I, I can schedule my workout. I I create my meals in that eight-hour window to make the workout better, to recover from the workout better, and then I've got like a bulwark of calories left over if I don't want to lose weight to have like a nice dinner that's like fun for my wife and fun for me. Mm-hmm. Or, like it simplifies a lot of life by just like really excellently answering the question of why am I eating? Yeah, and that's. To like fuel everything else that I do. Yeah. Yeah. That, that restrict. I'm glad you're in on it, man. Yeah. I hope you keep it going. I, I'm pretty, I'm pretty on board. The one thing I need to figure out is, is when am I going to, when to work out? 
um, because having that normally I'm around lunch, I'm a lunchtime workout, but mm-hmm. at 11 o'clock I'm ravenous and I'm, I'm eating a solid, probably 800 calories at that first meal. And mm. so to hop on the Peloton or do a CrossFit workout an hour and a half later, like I can feel some hot sauce right there in the bottom of my <laughs> bottom of my throat. So I either need to figure out if I can fast workout in the morning, maybe, um, or it's going to have to be like a, you know, later after, like a, you know, mid afternoon, like a three or four o'clock type thing, but we'll see. Yeah. I think it's different for everybody. You'll have to feel it out. What, what I really believe is that you're, if you do something continuously, your body's not actually programmed for like these 24 hour cycles, the way we think it is like your body will start stocking the energy and adjusting for you. Mm. It's like, uh, you know, they, I, I should probably fact check the truth of this before I say it. But when, uh, my older brother was in basic training at the air force Academy, they told him that the best place to store water was in your body. Like, don't try to, like, hang on to it and, like, eke it out and, like, take it when you need it. Like, get the water in your system. Your system will figure out how you need to use it. Very and then just be very conservative with your energy. I think that your body... I think our bodies are smarter than our brains when it comes to energy distribution. And... That if you decide to work out in the morning, like, yeah, it'll suck for a couple of days. Yeah. But then, like, your body will just be used to it. And also, there's, uh, there is some decent data around fasted cardio that it actually has a uh, satiating effect like on your mind. Like, it makes you not feel hungry. Right. Interesting. So, I think that wherever you decide to put that, like, that'll work itself out. Yeah. Like, personally, I still do a lunch workout. Uh, and when I say lunch, it's usually like 1230, one o'clock mm-hmm. and I just eat a little bit in my first meal. Okay. So even though I'm hungry, like an apple and some ground Turkey will take the edge off. And then like I do my workout, I'm also taking like a pre-workout then. So the caffeine dose kills a lot of appetite. Yeah. Crush my workout. And then I have like the rest of the calories afterwards. Yeah. Yeah. And then the day's all downhill. But, you know. But I'm on board. I'm going to, you know, I yeah, was. Yeah, yeah, kick I, it around. I've always, you know, it's always been something that's that's of interest to me, but I'm always like, uh, well, I'm not going to do that because I've never done that. And yeah. uh, now, now I want to just, for me, it's more just like, can I sustain this? Now, there's going to be some hiccups. You know, we have like a dinner with some friends and I'll have to eat a little bit later and it'll throw it off for, you know, a day or two, but. I'm going to try to carry it out for a whole month and see uh, see how I feel at the end of a month. Well, I almost never have a perfect week. Uh, you know, I aim for, like, my baseline goal that I track on the mirror is five days a week. Yeah, the weekends are tough, yeah, and because you have breakfast, stuff like that. and You might be training at different times and so forth. Well, I'm hugely in the positive. What I find is that, like, having that sort of leeway, yeah. it allows me, like, this past weekend, Easter... I get down to the in-laws house and I just, Hey, I'm off for three days. Yeah. I'll eat whatever for three days. And it kind of, I don't know. There's no guilt around it because I know that I'm, I'm back on, like I've got my full week and then, you know, 
a week after that Easter, like I haven't gained a pound. I'm right. the exact same as I was. Right, so, right. It's good stuff. Yeah, man. <sighs> man, I just love a chance to rave about the thing I'm doing as if it's the best <laughs> thing in the world. Don't we all, man? Who are the idiots who are eating three meals a day? Fools. <laughs> no, it's six small meals. That's the only way to do it. It's the only way to do it. Well, I think this uh, this weekend I'm gonna I'm gonna hit up the farmers market, find a a local butcher, purchase me a half beef. Oh, are you really? You're gonna go in on a half cow, huh? I think so. I think I'm ready. You got, you got a freezer? I do. Look at you. I got two two chest freezers in the basement. Wow, that spoken like That's a right. man from the Midwest. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man, I'm ready. Uh, I did want to throw out for those who missed last week's podcast. Uh, we had on Matt Pittman, a longtime friend for both of us. Um, talked a lot about personal finance, real estate investing. Um, gave some great recommendations uh, for some podcasts to listen to to get into investing. Um, a alternative place to stock some of your your cash or your emergency fund called Worthy Bonds, which I spent some time looking into today, and we're going to put some, some money in there, give it a test run uh, for a few months. I liked it. Yeah, I've looked into it as well. Um, so yeah, check it out. I, I was surprised. I got a lot of, not surprised, I guess. Like I, it's, it's weird for me when talking to somebody I know as well as Matt, I feel like it makes me a worse interviewer because like I, we know a lot of the same stuff. Mm-hmm. We've had the conversations before. Yeah. So like my, my questions aren't coming from as legitimate a place of curiosity. There's a lot of contextual, there's a lot of contextual stuff in there where, but I think, you know, between between the three of us, I think we got some good stuff and some real actionable stuff um, because he's he's doing things at the age of under, you know, what, 30, what will be 36 this year that, you know, could take a lot of time to, and, you know, granted, he's made a lot of sacrifices in order to be able to do it, but, um, you know, he's, he's got some good nuggets in there and he's, you know, super smart. He's just one of those people that has a lot of charisma around that kind of thing. And mm-hmm. like he said, he's like, He's just a hustler. He's like, if we, you know, if we were in the same position we were 10 years ago today, I'd probably be driving Uber and Lyft and, you know, doing that too, you know, and, you know, whatever. So, um, but yeah, I really enjoyed that. And then we have some pretty good ones, some pretty good folks coming on in the next, well, I say next couple of weeks over the next month and a half or so too. Yeah. Mm hmm. Yeah. So, uh, next week guys, we're having on, uh, Another longtime friend. Tommy's known him uh, longer than I have, but his name's Quint Coward. And uh, he came on once during the the Cheeto Dust days. Row 24. Row 24. The the live broadcasted later yeah. <laughs> Row 24 podcast. Uh, but Quint has a pretty cool journey. So... Uh, this girl from high school who listens to the podcast, she uh, texted me, I don't know, a month back, and she was like, you just have such interesting friends. And I hadn't really thought of it that way. Like, 
you know, it's just people we know who are having having some conversations. But like Quint's a perfect example of that is a guy we've known for a while and you start to take for granted the people who are close to you yeah. and what they're about. But uh, you know, synopsis of his journey is like he's down something like seventy pounds from his peak weight. Yep. Uh and has logged the most number of classes in his CrossFit gyms history. Yep. I guess by a long shot. Time. By a long shot. <laughs> and it's it's probably considered the preeminent CrossFit gym in the Raleigh area. Yeah. I would think. Yeah. Uh so it's not like there's a lot of slouches in there. And he just recently advanced to the quarterfinals in the CrossFit Open. So, like, going from 70 pounds heavier to making that advancement, like, is it's a hell of a journey. So I'm super excited to talk to him about that because I'm into those things. Yeah. And it's and it's so on big picture it. It's so on theme for us, too, because it's not like there was any, you know, he didn't take the red pill or the blue pill. It wasn't miraculous. It was just... Log chopping the wood, man. Logging consistent hours. The road mm. narrows, as my yes. friend says. Uh, hashtag the road narrows. <laughs> the uh, and then in uh, a couple weeks after that, we're having on Zach Westerbeck, who's a guy I knew from uh, originally met Cisco, and he has become a mental health advocate. He's an author. Wrote a book called "You're Not Alone." Um, Purports to be the only book you'll ever need to overcome depression, mental anxiety. Yeah, mine's on the way. Uh, I'm looking forward to reading it. Oh yeah, I'm I'm doing the homework. So, man, it's a uh, we're coming up on on episode twenty, and so stick with us, guys. We've actually got some big things in development with the podcast, and so we normally don't say this sort of thing, but. If you've been a regular listener up to this point and uh, you haven't taken the time to rate or review the podcast, we're actually going to start building some uh, infrastructure around it. And those ratings uh, play a big role in the algorithm that Apple Podcasts and Spotify and uh, other platforms use. Um, yeah, no, no pressure. But if you can hang with us for two hours of any one of these conversations... Taking a couple minutes, it's much appreciated. Agreed. Um, but I don't have anything uh, anything too direct I wanted to get into with you today, Tommy. Did you have any topics that were top of mind, or do I go into the deep reservoir of in my notes app on my phone called Pod Questions for Tommy? <laughs> I'm not ready to be interviewed today. I didn't prepare for this. Um you know, so something I, I sent this to you um, today, and it's something that was really interesting to me. So it, it won't be my recommendation this week because I'm not done with it yet. But uh, shout out to you for getting me on the Libby app, L-I-B-B-Y. Um, yes. Everett had a day off the other day. We went to the public. We have a public library that's a 10-minute walk from our house, which is phenomenal. Got him a couple books, got myself a, a library card, and now I can access the, the expansive Wake County Public Library's audiobook collection. And I, I don't know, man. I think my, um, my podcast listening days are going to really be 
much slimmer because mm-hmm. like, so for example, the, the book that I'm listening to right now is uh, talking to strangers by Malcolm Gladwell. And uh, for those that aren't familiar with Malcolm Gladwell, he also wrote probably his most famous book is the tipping point. Uh, but he also yep. wrote a book called blink. He's got a podcast. Outliers is probably Out, outliers is, is up there too. Yeah. Yeah. He's got a, he's just a David and Goliath. I've shamefully read like all the Malcolm Gladwell books. It, it, <laughs> yeah. And well, and they're all, they're all phenomenal because they address these intricacies of life that we just take for granted that there's some explanation for it. And, mm-hmm. um, <clears throat> you know, one of the things he, he talks about is, um, how the British prime minister, Neville Chamberlain met with Hitler on three separate occasions and came back from those meetings saying, uh, basically we're all good. He just wants to take over Slovakia. We're all good. He doesn't want war. He's, you know, vehemently, uh, against it. And then there was others that went and met with Hitler multiple times and knew him intimately and said, there's, he wants nothing, but Winston Churchill sitting back. He's Winston Churchill never met Hitler. And he was like, no, this guy's up to no good. And it was just this, essentially it was saying no one has a BS meter. No one has a real Mm. BS meter at best. We're 50, 50. And actually, the more time you spend with somebody that, you know, the, the, the less you are able to judge their truthfulness. Um, but, but one of the things that was really cool was, and I, I mentioned it to you, as it kind of goes on from there and it talks about different studies that were done, is the, um, the, I guess it's probably a psychology term or psychology phrase, illusions of asymmetrical insight, where... Basically, like we as individuals think we know others better than they know us. And we have insights about them that they should just listen. It might make them better. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I I sent you that and you're like, of course it makes sense because that's me. And that's me too. You know, it's like, (laughs) how many times have you talked with your spouse and you've been like, gosh, if this person would just take my advice, I've been there. And it's just absolutely fascinating to me. Yeah, I I think the way, like, when you sent to me, like, I was looking up and... Because I read Talking to Strangers, gosh, I guess uh, summer, fall 2019, around there, okay. whenever it first came out. Yeah. Uh, but it sparked the memory, so, like, I was reading up on it, and I thought this explained the illusion of... Uh, Asymmetric insight, the best. This one sentence. It is that person A knows person A better than person B knows person B or person A. Yeah. So not only do you think you know yourself better than they know their self, you think that you know yourself. Yeah. You know them better than they know themselves. Yeah. You think you so, know yourself better than they could ever know you, but you also know more about them than they could ever know about themselves. Yeah, it's like a a, a double bias. Yeah. It's you're not just biased to your own knowledge. 
it's it's compounded. Yeah. And uh, I think it's really tough to get away from. And I think I'm actually even pretty aware of it. Because I the the number of times, like Katie and I will find ourselves talking about someone, and one of us has to say to the other, like something about like you're projecting, or like you can't read their mind, or you don't know that they feel that way. Mm-hmm. Like you can't help it. Like you observe them, and you just paste all of your experience onto the actions that you observe, and you think you understand it. Yeah. The the thing that I think is interesting on that idea is actually an interesting debate is does your knowledge of yourself actually blind you to the truth about yourself? Like the fact that you are a self and you know all the context that went into your thoughts and the experience around the action is that actually too much information for you to process and somebody who just watches you act actually knows you better? It's like, no, I've seen the results of your life. I, I understand what's happening and you have no idea because you're making a million excuses. Yeah, I mean, I think that is, um, you know, if we go to our conversation, we always end up on therapy, but if you go to therapy, it's not like a therapist is telling you you are this, you are that. They're sort of helping you wipe away the dust and keep the dust bunnies away. So yeah, I, I think that your view of self uh, is absolutely, gosh, now I'm like compounded here. I, I do think, well, yeah. This is what makes it tough, right? Is no matter, like you are the center of the universe, right? Yeah. Like, no matter where you exist, thank you for saying all so. The events, <laughs> all the events happen like, like literally happen in front of you. It's to your left, to your right. Like you're it. It revolves your perspective. The world revolves around you. And the the real beauty of a therapist is they let you think about yourself as if you were someone observing yourself. Mm-hmm. So it's somebody who devotes their time to sitting outside of you, hearing all your thoughts, and then saying, this is what it sounds like. And hearing somebody else tell you what it sounds like is key to getting it right. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that, I think that that's kind of a metaphor for all the problems we see around... Uh, like division and sides and the ideologies and the echo chambers and the problem of the Facebook algorithm giving you what you want instead of giving you the truth. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I think it's all kind of a version of that. It's like, I've heard you're, you're self-selecting everything yeah. in the world. Yeah. So it is an interesting idea. And I guess that is kind of the premise of the Talking to Strangers book, right? If I, if I recall correctly, uh, he writes the book on a, a case where a police officer arrested a woman with very little cause. Yeah, she didn't, didn't signal a turn on a college campus. She, she had just gotten a job on the college campus. 
Yep, and because things seemed like they were escalating when he talked to her, and she was just aggravated, because things seemed like they were escalating, he arrested her, and she took her own life in jail. Three days later, and yeah. There's, yeah, there's a lot of context that goes into it, but like, you know, it was like a, it's funny that that came out shortly before the George Floyd situation because it was like a lower stakes version of, you know, whether you want to go back to Eric Garner or George Floyd, it's a lower stakes version of this thing where cops bring their context into the situation, the citizen brings their context and that collides into disaster. Yeah, one of the and, and I listened to him on a podcast, Malcolm Gladwell, and he said, you know, one of the you know tipping points of that inner of the altercation or interaction, if you will, was while he's while this officer is talking to her, she pulls out a cigarette and starts smoking a cigarette. Yeah. Uh, he's from he's from Texas. She's from like Michigan or Detroit. You know, somewhere in the Midwest, upper Midwest. And it's perception and it's in the moment. And to the officer, that's disrespect, a Southern officer to her. That's I'm in a very high anxiety situation. And the drag of this cigarette is going to bring me back to earth. It's going to calm me down. I'm trying to relax. Like I'm anxious. Right. And so we would all, yeah. I mean, the, the whole point of the book is we, we do ourselves well to take a step back when we're interacting with people. And address that, you know, they are a person, they have their own needs and reasons for talking to you and to be as aware of that as you can, as you're speaking with that person. I don't know. It's well, I think the, I think the big takeaway, and this is the takeaway of so many things, in my opinion, uh, is we're really bad at teaching each other and teaching ourselves how to think. Like we we do a really good job of hammering our opinions of what to think. Yeah, we have a whole school system and, set up on that. <laughs> yep, what to think? It's just like facts. Do you have the answers? Uh-huh. And we're even like the the more compelling amongst us are even really good at telling people why to think mm-hmm. those things. Mm-hmm. But when we just get into the basis of how to think, which is what do I assume about this situation? Like when I start thinking about it, what what are the filters I've been poured through to get to this moment yeah. that are impairing the way I'm seeing the events unfold? Yeah. And empathizing with what possible filters that other person could have been poured through just like myself. And then when I start to process all that, doing so with the assumption that both individuals are doing the best they can, given all those filters. And then you come to the possibility of getting a really good outcome versus thinking that like we're enemies or they're stupid or they don't care or any of this weird stuff we want to place on other people to make ourselves feel better about whatever we're doing. Instead of trying to accept the responsibility of, well, now I have to do the best I can because that's what they're doing too. So I got to rise up. Yeah. I get this feeling when I hear it from others and even when I say it myself, um, when I either land on an idea or a thought or an opinion that I think is 
is 100% truth. Like that, that's it. And the thought or the, or the phrase is, is said, or it comes to my mind of, I don't know how anyone could feel that way. I don't know how anyone could think that thing. It, it, I have to take myself back and say, well, there's a re so here's an example. I'm currently spoiler alert. My recommendation of the week, I'm currently watching uh, into the storm on HBO max, which is it, that the, that's the uh, QAnon, QAnon thing? thing. And it is pretty wild. Um, that this thing that was started not that many years ago has created, uh, you know, a riot at our country's one of our country's most sacred buildings. Um, but but you watch it, and and so far I'm about one and a half episodes in out of I think four. It, it's not presented in a light of, look at these idiots. How could they believe this thing? This is nuts. I find myself at times listening to this and I'm like, I could see if you stopped your research right there that this would make total sense. That this would be way too coincidental to, you know, to uh, to not be true. Coincidences don't exist anymore. And uh, so, you know, all that to say, like, sometimes I find myself saying, how could anybody believe this stuff? And then I also sometimes in the same veins hear myself saying, I could see myself believing some of this stuff, you know? So, well, you know what I think is interesting about trying to believe the best in people, even those who are seemingly the lowest caliber of individuals we have to offer, mm-hmm. is if you really try to believe that they're doing their best, you come closer to understanding something about the the reality of other existences not because it's necessarily going to get you closer to the truth to assume that they're doing the best but because when you assume that you open your mind to what it might be like to be them yes you you accept that they're not somebody to be shunned and so then you think about their life in a different way and whereas if you just say they're crazy you stop thinking about them you write them off Mm -hmm. And so you compartmentalize them, right? Like they go in this bucket mm -hmm. with these other people that have these similar qualities, right? Yeah. And they're no longer worth consideration. And so you've just eliminated data points. You've eliminated information. And I don't think there's anybody who's good at logically processing the world who thinks less information is ideal. Mm -hmm. Like, of course, there's a place where too much information can become toxic but I don't think that's what we're talking about when it comes to processing people. Yeah, yeah. It's it's more it's it's less like factual information and more contextual information, right? Like, what are the things that are? And it's yeah. I mean, it's in and when you're when you're interacting with someone that you've never interacted with before, like you just said earlier. I mean, they're they're bringing with them thirty five years of whatever happened before them to that point where they're having XYZ conversation with you. And likewise, you're bringing your 35 years of things that have happened and been done to you or you've done to others and 
classes you've taken and books you've read and boom, you have the, that, that conversation. And there's so much unspoken context that comes there. And we all know, well, I would say we all know, we all recognize that we're, you know, we're broken people just trying to do the best that we can every day. If you can find it in yourself to see that as someone coming at you as well, we'd be much better off. Well, the the very minimum is it'll make you happier. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> like it just it just does to assume that the people around you are like pointing up to their best degree, and it also uh, like you're not intentionally skewing the facts. Like they are, there they aren't. You never actually know the facts, so right. it's not an intentional skewing. Like you're you're making a lucky guess or an unlucky guess either way because you never have enough information to know which direction they're really going. So why not just assume the best and be happier to live in a society where people are making an effort? Yeah. If it opens your mind, it gives you a, a boost in mood. Uh, it's really hard for me to see the downside of that. So I can, I'm, I'm having this conversation right now with a, um, with one of my customers, not this conversation, but we, we never met this person before we started kind of talking on different things like three months ago, but it was one of those sort of, um, divine moments where I brought up a topic that was top of mind for me. And it just so happened to be top of mind for him. And now we're having these, yeah, and, and, and he's one of these people that is – and if you're in sales, account management, you know these flow states where your customer is like, yep, want to try that. Yep, want to do that. And sometimes it's just the personality of that person. And this guy's got such a charisma to him that as we're talking about these ideas – He's like, oh, this is great. I want to connect you with this person. And this is what we want to talk about with them. And I want to connect you with this person. And I think the reason I'm, I'm telling this story and what I'm thinking about is this guy is coming at, at me as an account manager, as a salesperson. He's known for like three or four months. And he's like, he's got some pretty good ideas. I'm open to these ideas. Let me help. Mm-hmm. Let me help expand these ideas. And, you know, of course, that this is, you know, a, an account management to a customer relationship, but I know I personally can come at some uh, relationships just personally a little bit closed off. Like you got to earn, you got to earn it before I give it. And I think McConaughey said in many of his interviews that he did when he was toting his book, which was pretty good. Um, sure. <laughs> but he's like, he's like, I'll give you all my, I, I give it all to you. As soon as I meet you, you got it. But you can. Yeah. I can chip some away if you start to prove otherwise. So I, I think know. that's the best way to live. I really do. I do. Uh, I'm, I'm learning that more and more. You know, a weird place where I feel attention on that. What's and that? I, I, I think I've overcome it, but it's scrolling through something like Instagram. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And sometimes I'll see somebody's post and I know this person. I'm friends with them. And I'm not, I'm not like, I'm like whatever about the thing that they have put out there. And I'll just keep scrolling by, not hitting like. Nope. And it's like, why would I be that way? Like, Doesn't deserve even, it. <laughs> Doesn't deserve yeah, it. Exactly. 
<laughs> exactly. And it took me a while to be like, what What do I think I'm doing with my likes? Like I'm curating the internet here? Yeah. It's like, I know this person that's a picture of their child and they look like they're having a fun time. I can't like that. Right. Get over yourself. What is this? Double tap. What does this like say about me? What is this thing? Right. Yeah, I, I you know I, I do look forward to the day when um, social media no longer exists. It it's no some way. it's somewhat of a necessary evil right now. I mean you know I, I do enjoy it. It's definitely good. You love it. I do. I know, and that's a problem. It's a problem. Cut my jeans in two pieces. I, how much did you love that? This though? is my ass in jorts. I love that. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, I know. I do. I know that. That's the problem. Is I do like it. And and it has a, an awesome purpose to like. I've seen you in person one time in the last three hundred and eighty days or more. This is wild. But I also kind of have an idea of what's going on in your life, even if we didn't do this every week. Same thing with like my friends back at home and so forth. But the fear for me is that our little brains that have evolved over millions of years potentially, the the speed at which. We've taken a giant supercomputer and put it in our pockets and given us quick hits of dopamine. Our brains have not had the time to evolve to understand how to deal with that. No. Well, I 100% agree with that. I think that when I talk about how to think and we're not good at it, yeah. for all of human existence, we didn't really need to worry that much about our relationship with objects. like. Mm. You know, you didn't have something that extended your mind's interest and gave them gave it a never-ending flow of information. Like, people had minor worries about this, like, uh, you know, like Beauty and the Beast. That girl's head is always in a book. Yeah, right. <laughs> or, or, like, the TV comes on and the boob tube. Uh-huh. It's like he's just a zombie staring at that thing. Uh-huh. But really, the the phone is the first... The smartphone is the first thing that's like, all right, well, this is getting trouble. And I think, uh, I was telling Katie this, I spent all of last year licking my screen time. Like, I got it down. I created some protocols, and it's like, okay. Under two hours and 45 minutes, I gave myself back. It was over 23 full days of time. Yeah. And getting my screen time down from four and a half hours to 2.45. It's like I gave myself 23 extra days of life not looking at that phone. Yeah. Which everybody knows when you're on your deathbed, you're not going to be wishing you were out to eat at a restaurant looking at your phone. Right. Right. Yep. You're going to you're going to wish you were in dialogue with friends and family. But I was telling her I spent all that time licking it and I didn't realize until I got my my Apple Watch here. That like the companies are already ahead of us. Oh, some people have figured out that they shouldn't look at their phone all the time. They leave it places. They step away from it. How do we get the screen smaller? Yeah. It's like the, the big TV you left on the wall. You walked away from it all the time. So then we had the laptop. Well, I carry this around with me to work, back home. Then the phone. It's in your pocket. You're taking all sorts of places. Well, now I've got this little screen on my wrist. Yeah. That never leaves. Yep. It's always there. Yep. And so, like, I've had to be real intentional about the way I've 
the apps, the notifications. And yeah. so far it's only been a, a positive in my life, but man, it's, it's something that you got to learn to adjust to cause it's not going anywhere. Yeah. You're right about that. Yeah. That's, that's one of the biggest reasons I don't have an Apple watch is it's like, you, if you don't set the settings right, you're like every message looking down at it. So you went with the Apple watch. You didn't go with the Garmin. Went with the Apple Watch. Uh, multi-purpose. The, I get it. It's multi-purpose. I, I love it for a lot of reasons. The biggest reason I have it is uh, when we were talking to Sandy Roberts. Um, looks like we're lost episode 15, I believe. Mm-hmm. Sounds Maybe about 14. right. Somewhere in, that, somewhere in those pre-teens, uh, those mid-teens, yeah. <laughs> uh. I brought up thinking about a Garmin or a GPS watch. Katie heard it and she had to spoil our fourth anniversary. Mm-hmm. The fourth anniversary mm-hmm. is like mm-hmm. the fruit and flowers. Yeah. Yeah. Which let's let's face it, traditionally pretty lame. Fruit and flowers fruit and is pretty flowers. bad, yeah. Yeah. It's like what am I gonna eat? A watermelon? Yeah. <laughs> Thanks. So <laughs> it's like I'm just engorged. Wasn't well, it hilarious that like well I I'll Real, real quick sidebar. I thought about this recently when like people would give oranges for Christmas. I'm like, what are you giving me an like? What are people giving oranges for Christmas? It's a freaking orange. You can get an orange any time of and year. How did they get them out of season? But that's you know, you know, that was probably 60, 70 years ago. If you got oranges from Florida in the middle of December, you were doing something, and that was it. That was a gift. So anyway, I think it's funny because we still get oranges and clementines around that time of year. So anyway, so she got you this. She she had to spoil the fruits and flowers anniversary. Yeah, because her anniversary gift to me was going to be an Apple Watch. Well, that's, which I was like, perfect fruit gift. It's, it's per- something she knew I wanted. Apple. She was so, crushing it. So creative, right? What did you get? Like, a, did yeah. you get some edible arrangements? It's <laughs> <laughs> basically where I was going. <laughs> Who doesn't love it? Uh, no, Katie's Katie's end of the anniversary gift is. Um, an untold number of thousands of dollars to re-landscape our front yard. Oh, fantastic. So, it's expensive. It's so expensive. Something we've been needing to do, and she cares more than me, so we'll call it her gift. I get it. Well, you know, as, as someone like our friend Sandy Roberts would say, it's gonna it's really going to increase the curb appeal. <laughs> Bingo, bango. There you go. Um, yeah, we had, we had a similar but but not same where um i had been needing some new shorts and so naturally i'll go to what's your go-to short i don't you don't want to you, you know lululemon man well i have i you know i i haven't bought a new pair of lululemon shorts i am for sure but i haven't bought a new pair in probably i don't know a year and a half they just never stink um mm-hmm. i have pairs actually a pair that i'm wearing right now i got seven years ago and I could wear them wow. for five days straight around the house, and they'll never stink. It's really impressive, really impressive. Man, you love justifying a clothing purchase with the link of ownership. Oh, absolutely! Right, look at this shirt. You know how long <laughs> I've had this T-shirt? <laughs> um, no, but I was—I needed to get a pair of uh, uh, out and about shorts, some casual shorts. Naturally, I go to Chubby's because you know, yep. sun's out. Sky's out, thighs out. And I told I told Annie, I was like, Yeah, I've been looking at these like, you know, these blue ones. 
I might go ahead and pull the trigger. Cause you know, you know me, man, every, what was it? Uh, every decision, the, the, the whatever, whatever the phrase you use was, was spot <laughs> the cost of action, cost is, so of action high. is so high. So I had it up on my screen for a solid three days for a $52 purchase <laughs> as is totally normal and healthy. And, uh, I told her about it and she's like, I don't want to ruin your Easter present, but, uh, <laughs> and she had the exact, exact pair, the pair that I was looking at. I'm like. That's kind of nice. And I got it. She knows you. Yes. Yes. She does know me. So anyway, yeah, my, uh, I'm glad I didn't because then I would have had two pairs of blue shorts with a 5.5 inch inseam. So Mm, I I just recently got on the uh, short inseam bus. Yeah, you did. That's a lot of leg. You got a lot of leg there. Well, I'm I'm not there for my casual shorts, but, uh, I've got two pairs of running shorts I've, Mm. I've taken out and about and be lying if i if i said the people of hillsborough street weren't noticing me it is liberating liberate the thighs (laughs) there's there's one pair in particular that's like a two and a half inch inseam no i mean these no these babies are scandalous those are like ranger panties man like army rangers that wear the they're pretty close they're pretty close you know what? The other pair's a, a traditional five inch inseam running short. Not Man, that big a deal. You really just I'm rolling the dice. I'm exploring some new aspects of my personality. <laughs> and uh you know? Yeah, you get... I gotta say I don't hate it. I, the, yeah. I will say this. This was embarrassing. I'm wearing those shorts. And I normally just wear them to run. I get home. You know, they've got obviously the uh the liner. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you got it when you're in, in seat you're, you're too yeah <laughs> and so normally i get home they're soaked with sweat i throw them right in the hamper and like new pants on uh-huh. i tend to do some work things and our contractor uh happens to like knock on the back door he needs to cover some questions <laughs> with me and i'm in like a regular t-shirt and these tiny shorts yep yep <laughs> and, I walk out there, he looks up and down, and we're both wearing masks, so it's hard to totally read what's yeah, going on yeah. in his, his mind, and he just goes, were you working out? <laughs> <laughs> and I felt so supremely judged, and like, you know, I'm bigger than this guy, got a few inches, but he's he's a laborer, he works oh, with yeah. his hands, oh, yeah. like, he's wearing boots and dirty jeans. And you got some panties and, on. And he's doing the thing like building my home that I wasn't doing for myself, mm-hmm. and it just felt like he was in, he was in the pole position in terms of masculinity. There's definitely and, yeah, and I'm just shining this snowy white leg at him <laughs> and being like, uh, just just running. Normally I change. I just didn't have time to change. Yeah, gonna okay, cool. Well, let me show you what I'm thinking. Yeah. <laughs> Did I say I'm going to go inside and do 100 push-ups? Did I tell you that part, too? <laughs> Dude, uh, so I still, I'm still working through some things there is what I'm saying. I, that's all right, man. I, I say liberate those thighs. Let them go. Get some sun on them. Thank you. I, uh, this is a random story that, that you made me think of as you said this. So when I was a kid, um, you know, w- briefs were what you wore in the Cooksey family. <laughs> Yep. <laughs> well, you know, at some point briefs no longer cut it cuz you you know, you're in a in a locker room. And so my dad had a pair of 
but they look like boxers. And they were kind of like mm-hmm. a light pastel color. I'm somewhat colorblind. Kind of like a bluey, peachy mixture of colors. And uh, I saw him in the laundry, and I'm and I'm like, "Hey, Dad, do you care if I have? Do you care if I have these?" He's like, <laughs> "She said, oh, these shorts." <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, "Well, Dad, there there is there are no pockets on these things, and there's no zipper or button." <laughs> He's shorts. And he said, Are you he said, Are you kidding me? Your mom gave these to me and called them shorts. I was I was down in our town bumping gas, waving to me (laughs) 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 these things on. Very quickly those became like a lunatic. (laughs) Those became mine very quickly. Can you imagine just pumping gas, a t-shirt tucked into your tidy whities You know the t-shirt was tucked in, man. 80s, <laughs> 80s 90s dads had it had that locked down. Uh, anyway. Last, last story about briefs, and then uh, we'll move on to yeah, the man. weekly segments. Yeah, man. So, uh, I don't, I doubt my brother even listens to the podcast, but his wife probably does, so a risque share on my yeah, part, yeah, but okay. it's funny. <laughs> Uh, it out if you need to. No way. It's not that bad. So, um, my older brother's a senior in high school, and our church did this thing where uh, when the seniors were graduating and moving on, like the youth pastor would, um, with a video camera, like burst into their room like 5 a.m., wake them up before like you know, one of their last weeks in school or one of their first weeks for senior year mm-hmm. and to make a collage, a montage of it all. And it was like a funny send off. And, uh, you know, most people like our t-shirt pajamas, maybe <laughs> like they're wearing all sorts of things. So <laughs> when he comes into my older brother's room and like, I'm sleeping through all this, so I don't see it until it's on the video. Yeah. And a lot of people have just their high school seniors. Their rooms are atrocious. Yep. They're wrecks. Yep. My older brother's room, true to his form, pristine. Of course, yeah. Absolutely cleaned. Probably hand vacuumed it himself the night before. Mm-hmm. And uh, <laughs> so the video comes in there, and it's already shocking. Like all these rooms have been so messy. This one is immaculate. And <laughs> the the camera pans as the light comes on. There's only one thing on the floor. <laughs> it's just a pair of white briefs. And so you can tell, like, the guy's like, I probably shouldn't pull these blankets down. <laughs> no, where else did those briefs come from? Yeah, just yesterday's laundry. <laughs> yeah. Oh, sorry, the room's a wreck. I just left those out. All these old things. Yeah. That's hilarious. Yeah, and so uh, you know, he turns on the light and he's like, "Joe Redazel, what's one piece of advice you have as you're graduating high school?" And Joe just like, like he'd been prepped for it, lock your doors. <laughs> oh man, what a man! Good stuff. That's fantastic. That's fantastic. All right, question of the week. Let's go. Self-reflection edition of We're Not Really Strangers. Check it out. Great Instagram handle. Uh, 
Great Instagram account, I should say. The We're Not Really Strangers handle. Solid handle, too, but great account, yeah. Great account. Question is, are any of my insecurities hurting anyone else by accident? And besides my my white legs and my contractor? <laughs> what insecurities? Yeah, he puts his sunglasses on. Yeah. <laughs> You know, it was sunny out here before I stepped out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but, uh, yeah, yeah, but this is a good one. Are, yeah, any of my insecurities hurting anyone else by accident? Oh, that is a tough one. I I think it's tough for me initially. I'm just going to talk through it, hopefully find an answer. Yeah. I don't consider myself an insecure person. Uh, I have certainly had a lot of insecurities throughout my life. But I think a lot of my bad habits manifested because I was ignoring insecurities. Mm, mm-hmm. And so I haven't really ever come to terms with myself as an insecure person. So it's hard for me to think of what like what the first thing is that it's like, uh Yeah. You you got anything coming to mind? You know, as I think through this one, this one's this is a question that's probably better left with therapy for me. Because mm. um, I definitely, you know, and and and. and with with this the invitation for others as they're listening to this to kind of explore it for themselves which is kind of the reason we do this um but you know i i definitely have a number of insecurities that some run deeper than others but Mm -hmm. you know i think um and and i think i i would i would be so bold as to say if you're in a relationship with somebody or and in just have a relationship with somebody your insecurities will always indirectly impact that other person because i don't think you're able to give your full self to that person and i don't mean that just intimately like your wife or your husband i mean that like friendship business relationships um, because I think through insecurities, you're less able to, you're either, yeah, you're less able to put up proper boundaries. Um, so, yeah, I don't have any specifics, but definitely, you know, I can, I can, I can say definitively that insecurities that I, that are much more brightly aware to me, uh, having done a lot of self-reflection in retrospect, it's very obvious to me how those could maybe unintended or, or um, unintentionally uh, impact somebody else that I care about. So, Yeah, I think uh, as you're talking, I thought about this. And I guess like I probably replace the term insecurity with fear. Mm, yeah. Yeah, I can they're see not, that. They're not too distantly related. Yeah. And so I think a lot of fears we have, I it's most easy for me to project those onto 
Walter. Uh, one, because he's a boy. One, because I've thought about him longer than three-month-old Winnie. Right, right. Uh, and so there's... I'll read just like a few sentences I wrote on his first birthday letter um, that I think kind of encapsulate it. Uh, I said, There is the fear that I will not be skilled enough, failing the object of my love. That fear robs me of my rigor and passion. There is the fear that in spite of my skill, the chaos of the world will rip my love away from me anyway. That fear robs me of my stillness and presence. And there is the fear that after a lifetime of honing my skills and choosing wisely, the object of my love will not appreciate my effort. That fear robs me of acceptance and my foresight. And these two skills of love are critical, because as Shakespeare wrote, love is not love which alters when, which alters it when alteration finds, or bends with the remover to remove. If I cannot accept that given love needs no return, and if I cannot move forward with my fate, then my skill set is incomplete. And I was just talking about the skill of love and how we, when we focus it on an object, we fail so often. And, you know, I think you're talking around that a little bit with uh, not being able to love someone completely. And, you know, so far I think I'm doing okay with Walter. But, like, the greatest challenges are ahead. Yeah. And Katie and I found ourselves talking about, like, imagining when he leaves for college or when he's a young man and we only talk to him for, like, 30 minutes once a week. Yeah. And how difficult that'll be. And, like, you want those things, but it's like, if I even need him to love me back the way that I love him, then I'm already failing. Like I'm, I'm acting like he owes me something Mm. as son to parent. Yeah. And in doing that, I'm going to skew the way that I give him what he needs. Like, will it bother me when I am strict with him and he's upset? And so I'm a little bit more lenient than I should be. Or, uh, you know, am I too strict because I'm afraid that he'll have the weaknesses that I have? Yeah. Right. Like, I I think that's at the heart of this question. And what makes it so tough is we don't want to look at, like I even said it, I I won't think of myself as an insecure person. And yet I, I definitely am. Like I'm, I've, I wrote a whole letter about it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I yeah. just changed the word to feel better. Yeah, you know, I think it's um, and thanks for sharing that, man, because that, that's that's really good stuff. I think, you know, being having insecurities does not make you insecure. In the same way that maybe I'll just think of an easy making eating eating a or or doing one workout does not make you fit, mm. right? Or or eating a poor meal doesn't make you you know, unfit. Uh, yeah. Or a glutton or yeah. Or make you a glutton. Right. I think it's, I mean, that, that it's natural to have insecurities. It means you're alive, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know? Um, and having a kid being married exposes that because you're putting this level of trust with your deepest, 
most intimate feelings and secrets and emotions, etc., with your spouse especially, in that person's hands, with the ability to break you down, trusting that they won't. With a kid, you're, you're right, man. I never thought of it that way that like, because we think about it all the time, like, man, one day they're not going to want to, you know, hang out with me, watch a movie with me, kick a soccer ball with me. And yeah. you want that reciprocated love. And sometimes it won't be. And so, mm-hmm. you know, it can be, I mean, of course, you know, un- it's, it's, I mean, our, my, with my kids, it's unconditional. Well, we're not programmed yeah. to love people who don't love us. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. Now, it, it, and, that, and I, you, I think you nailed it when you say that because with your kids, it is, I mean, it is unconditional. Even, even when they're at, at their worst, you're like, gosh, I see part of me in there, you know? And it, it's the funny thing where, you know, you see these tweets and this, this meme that's like, you know, gosh, I'm so glad we finally got the kids to bed. Five minutes later, you're sharing pictures of them with your spouse, you know? Yeah. It's this like unconditional love that, but it's a good reminder to say like, sometimes they will love me back a lot and sometimes they will mm-hmm. not because as a parent, I have to make decisions and tell them things that they're not going to like. And if I and if I didn't love them, then I would let them do whatever they like at any time, you know. So mm-hmm. that's a good share. Thanks for sharing that, man. Uh, do you think that that uh, that meme was was a positive from social media? Don't get me bubbled started. Up something good. It did bubble <laughs> up something good. If you know, if there if there is one thing that social media has done, it has. In, in in so much as it has driven a wedge between a lot of factions of people, I think it's also um, created this this strange feeling that we're so similar, especially mm-hmm. especially culturally on cultural type issues. Like in you know, for example, in the U.S., some of these like you know joke meme accounts that are just like. Uh, you know, um, things dads say. It's like, oh yeah. How how in the world has every dad said these things, and there was no internet before this? <laughs> it's like, yeah. Huh? What what is it like? This isn't ringing up. Yeah. Guess it's free then. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And uh, and uh, you yeah. know, or, you know, I'm I'm not heating the outdoors. It's like. <laughs> so anyway, so yeah, there there are some positives. It gives me good chuckles, you know. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, not to hammer this again, but like I, th- I think that that are things trying their best, are people trying their best, like can be extended to things. And if you think about it with social media, like is social media good or bad? If you choose to think of it as a good thing, well, then you're not going to have this guilt or anger you have to overcome when you realize you spend six hours a day or six hours a week on it, Mm -hmm. you know, maybe it's a day for some people. I'm sure it is. Yeah. But you know, you can, uh, there's no need to make an enemy out of this thing you've already accepted into your life. True. Just, just, you know, limit it. Yeah. You know, don't it's, it's, it's like calling cake evil, which you would definitely like say, 
when it comes to your diet, like, well, there's no reason to besmirch the cake or the pizza, just moderation. Yeah, right. Exactly. That's how social media is. Agreed. IMO. All right. Recommendations. You want to tell me if Into the Storm is actually good or just interesting? Um, I think it's both. I do think it's both. Excellent. Yeah, I, I think it's worth the time. I mean, it's very interesting. And they they do I, I have to look up who the um who the producer is or the director, but it's he's well someone known. We know. Yeah, I think well, not someone I, I know, but you know movies. Personally. You know movies. So um but yeah, I, I think it's um it's very interesting, and, and it's done in a way that's not necessarily uh, poking fun, you know, so to speak. So, and it doesn't. It mm. so far, I'm I'm only almost two episodes in. It doesn't. Every documentary somewhat has an agenda these days. It's not just like look at the facts of this war, or or mm-hmm. whatever. But it's. It's trying to paint the the larger picture of it, how it came to be, what it came to be by by way of the people that made it what it is. So it's interesting. Well, I'm interested. It's interesting. Yeah, I'll I'll get to it eventually. That's a that's a perfect thing to correlate with my recommendation. Well, let's just say real quick, based on your recommendation, uh, the old Peloton back there. I've gotten about thirty to forty five minutes. Just just, just yep. get that resistance up to about 50, hold the cadence at 80 to 90, and just oh, yeah. 30 minutes flies by. There That's exactly what I did today. Yeah, flies zone by. two training. There you go, 140 to 160 all day, baby. <laughs> you knew I was coming with it. <laughs> yeah, the, uh, the zone two training. So what zone two training is is you take your uh, maximum heart rate that you should be working at it, which is typically 220 minus your age. And zone two is 60 to 70% of that number. So for me, 220 minus 35 is 185. And so zone two is like 110 to 130 beats per minute. So I try to hang out at 130 right around there. If I bleed into 135, I count that as bonus. Yeah, right. Uh, But it is... It allows your body, one, to recover much more quickly and builds up a much greater aerobic capacity. So this is something uh, recently learned that even somebody who's like an elite CrossFitter, like a Matt Fraser, was doing zone two training at 40 to 60 minutes three times a week uh, just because you need that to create that aerobic baseline to go into everything. And what I've found is, one, it's an easy way to burn a lot of calories. It prevents me from stressing out about the intensity of the upcoming workout. And the day after, so I ran six miles in zone two. uh, Might have been Monday. Mm -hmm. Took me about an hour. Like, when you can't exceed that that beats per minute on your heart rate, uh, you're going to run slow. So I think my fastest mile ended up being like 920. Yeah. And then they got slower as as they progressed because my heart had to work harder to keep me going when I was tired. And uh, yet the next day, I felt right as rain. Mm-hmm. 
And normally a six mile run, I'm going to be feeling that the next day. So can't recommend it enough. If you've got an indoor machine, a rowing machine, a Peloton, something equivalent, uh, you can do what Tommy and I like to do. Throw Q into the storm. Yep. Up on the laptop, put in the, the AirPods. You get the education, the entertainment, you barely feel the time, you burn all those calories, you make yourself better for future workouts. It is hard to think of a better way to spend an hour. It's it's funny you mention that, and it's, it's, it's somewhat sad that that's not a more prevalent like messaging in the fitness community. We're so aggro. We're like, you got to kill yourself every day. And that creates anxiety around every workout. It creates an intense amount of soreness. Uh, you know, and I was guilty of this, um, you know, in, in CrossFit, especially when I first got started and, and even up towards, maybe not towards the end just because age caught up with me. But, you know, it's like I want to, you got to kill yourself every workout. You know, some days it's better to hang out for those longer sustained workouts at this moderate pace. Um, and so that's kind of changed because I, I, I'm the same way. I'm like, well, if I can't give it, you know, hundred percent, I'm not going to do it today. But Mm -hmm. what's cool about the way they, they contextualize zone training is you can give it a hundred percent, but a hundred percent at 60 to 70%. Like, you know, so that's really cool. Good reco. Oh, I love it. Um, I'm still playing with how much I should mix it in like what's the what's the right number of times to go full send versus a zone two aerobic versus something in between mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, but that's kind of the fun of it yeah you find out what works yeah I think in a few years when I'm uh when I'm producing the 5,000th version of fit at 40 <laughs> You're going to be glad I did the research. I'll be I'll be along there for the ride just like 17 days later. <laughs> we should we should co-publish books. You'll write, I won't proofread and I'll put my name on it and then we'll go. That's 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 how we'll do it. Can't wait. Yeah, man. <laughs> I'll give you I'll give you 40% of the profits. <laughs> All right, guys. Thanks for uh, thanks for tuning in, Tommy. The pleasure's all yours. It is always, every time, all twenty plus episodes. Enjoyed it. I knew it. Talk to you later, all brother. Right, brother. See you, man. <laughs>